Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, I just want to say thanks for, for a number of reasons. Um, one of the reasons is that you guys have all made me feel very comfortable this morning. Pastor Frank asked when he walked in, he says, are you nervous? And I said, no. I said, unbelievably not. Usually I would get nervous speaking to this many people, but um, everybody I've met this morning has smiled at me, welcomed me. Uh, I've seen old friends who from the Good Friday services, and I just feel very comfortable. Thank you for that. Thank you for just being a warm, inviting church. Thank you for uh, letting me kind of hang out at the office space that you have. I don't know if all of you know that, but I'm filling one of the offices there at a greatly reduced rate, and I just really appreciate being with your staff and holding it up there. There we go. I greatly appreciate being with your staff, and uh, it's nice to just go into one of their offices and just talk about something like, what translation of the Bible do you use and why, or something like that. Those are kind of things, as a solo pastor, I didn't ever have the, the opportunity to do. So uh, just thank you for your graciousness to me and to our church. Pastor Jared is actually speaking at our church this morning. And so um, he's hopefully enjoying that experience as well. Um, I feel like I need to pray. pray. I don't always pray before I, I bring a message, but we had a men's retreat uh, in the last three days. And so if you can picture 18 men in an 18 by 18 foot space, because we have a house, my in-laws had a house that now somehow became ours, and we went up to Wisconsin with 18 men, and it was raining all weekend, and we had to stay inside, (laughs) and so picture 18 guys, and and if you know men are not the neatest guys, and don't, you know, hygiene isn't one of the top priorities, Um, So it got a little crazy, and uh, one of the 18 had what was affectionately called a psychotic break, and that was me. (laughs) And so I I feel like uh, I just want to pray before we look into God's Word, so let's do that. Lord, thank you so much for your Word. I thank you for Harvest Community Church and the fact that its pastors and its people love your Word. God, thank you for these believers who are serious about walking with you and serious about growing as disciples of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity for for me to come and just share a little bit about your word. And I just pray that you would be the teacher this morning, that you you would preach to us through your spirit and that we might mutually be encouraged and walk more closely with you and to see others come to know you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, one of the motivations for me as a pastor for the last 18 years, I'm kind of a midlife crisis for me, was to go to seminary and be a pastor. So I've only been a pastor for about 18 or 19 years now, all of them here in this area. And one of the motivations for me that I keep looking back on and thinking about is, how do you share the gospel with a generation like we have now? It seems like more and more people are drifting farther and farther from the gospel the, the campus ministry that I was involved in as a college student back in the 1800s was, 
it's just different now. You can't go door to door and just say, do you want to know about Jesus? That's what we did uh, on campus. Uh, It's just harder to talk about Jesus. Well, how do you connect with a culture that thinks those who follow Christ are judges and haters? And they don't want to talk to you. And they know it all. And they can just look up Jesus on Google. They don't need the information that we might have. How do you share the gospel in in a culture like this? And so as I think about this over the years, I think maybe it's power. Maybe there's some miracle that if if God could just come and do some sort of powerful miracle in my presence here and people could say, oh my goodness, God really does exist. I want to follow Jesus. If somehow Jesus himself might be able to come and, and just people could see him and talk with him. Maybe then they would listen to what he had to say. Maybe then they would want to follow him. And as I think about that, I think about the scripture we're going to look at this morning. And I think, well, maybe there's a different way. Maybe God has already shown us the way to connect with this culture. Maybe it's it's not as um, confusing as I might think it is. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read verses 35 to 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. This is a familiar passage probably to you guys. And here's what it says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. To be honest with you, when I first read this, it made no sense to me as a church planter. It just made no sense to me. Jesus is right there. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to the Christ followers, and he sees a number of people who don't know him. And it makes me stop and wonder, does Jesus know something I don't know? Obvious answer there. It just makes me wonder, why is he on such a different wavelength from me? Because this passage to me should read differently. He must know something we don't know. Again, it, it ranks up there with those passages that you read in Scripture that seem to you, you kind of they're mind-boggling. He's, he's coming to talk about who, who his Father is and who God is, and he's coming to start the church. But the, the Scripture tells us that he often withdrew to lonely places. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he go where all the people are? The Scripture tells us that he would heal people and then say, don't tell anybody what I just did. And I would read those passages and go, why would he say that? The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? Um, It seems like the perfect opportunity. They're all shouting, you know, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna. You would think Jesus would say, now guys, go out and get this white horse. The generals in in our day, you know, they're going to come in triumphant, get a horse, a white horse. I'm going to get up on that thing and we're going to start a church. We're going to get going here. Instead, Jesus says, no, go find a donkey, go find a little young donkey, and, and I'll just ride in on that. And I think, why 
Why is he doing that? What does he know that, that I don't know? What does he know that we don't know? So Matthew 9 is one of those passages. He's traveling around with his disciples. The crowds are following him. They're obviously interested in him. He sees them. He sees they have this huge need. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But it seems like the passage should read differently. Maybe something like this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are a few. So I know there's only a few, you guys. So get out there. I'm right here. Go get a bunch of those people. Bring them over here so I can talk to them. Let's get this church started. It's Jesus. He's right there. He could easily just talk to these people. And and he says something completely different. He says, guys, the need's great. The people are here. I'm here. I'm here. So let's, let's pray. Wait, wait a minute. Why would he say that? Why would he call them to prayer when this seemed to be a perfect opportunity to get the church going? Well, the answer is in the text because Jesus mentions someone else in the picture. The Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. There's a Lord of the harvest. There's a Lord of the harvest. The word Lord, um, we use that so often in church. It's what I call one of the church words. It's used so often we kind of forget what it means. We just know, oh yeah, he's the Lord. He's the Lord. He's in charge, I guess is what that means. Um, I like to look up, when I'm studying for a sermon, I like to look up words in either Webster's Dictionary or one of the Greek dictionaries. I like to say, what, what does this word actually mean? I use this too often. Um, one of the dictionaries I looked up said, this is the definition of the word Lord. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. It's used universally of the possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner He owns the harvest. It's up to him. He possesses the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. It's his. Jesus seems to ignore the fact that we call this stuff church growth or evangelism. You know, it doesn't see, to me, I grew up in a culture where if you wanted people to know about Jesus, you had to go knock on a door. Or you had to say, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Or do you know what the bridge illustration is? And it all seemed, I was taught in my early days as a Christian was, it was up to me. Jesus doesn't seem to indicate that at all. He says, there's the Lord of the harvest. There's the Lord of the harvest. Typically, if the church isn't growing these days, who gets the blame? The pastor. I know a friend of mine who's pastoring a church in Wheeling. It's not Pastor Steve, so you can be, it's okay. But his church isn't growing, and he called me up a couple weeks ago, and he said, yeah, the elders are really upset with me because the church isn't growing. Nothing I'm trying is working. And I had to remind him, um, there's a Lord of the harvest, (laughs) and it's not you. It's not you. The Lord of the harvest. In Matthew 9, Jesus reveals that... um, Not only is there a need for laborers to go into this harvest field, but those laborers are actually sent by the Lord of the harvest. He controls those going out to to share the good news. Again, this is one of those things in Scripture that I was never taught early on, that that God really is in charge of so much more than I think he is. Um, 
One of my favorite verses is John 6.44. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You might know that verse. John 6.44. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Link that verse with John 21.11 for a minute. John 21.11 is the story of Peter and the disciples at the end of John, and they're out, fish, and they're out fishing, and they're hauling in this big uh, catch of fish. 153 fish are caught, and the text says that they're hauling the net ashore. And so you get the idea that they're hauling this net, and it's a little bit hard to do. The same word that John uses for hauled the net ashore is the same word that Jesus used there. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me hauls him. God is the one doing, exercising the energy here. He's the one where the, the, the power is all right there. It's not in you and I. It's not in you and I. And Jesus is saying to his disciples here, the first thing you need to understand is invite the one who oversees and controls this whole thing to work and to get involved in what you're doing. Invite him. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Pray earnestly. Guys, it all starts with my father, he said. He's the one who controls it all. He's the one who's going to send you out. He's the one who's going to bring people to himself You might think it's you, but start there. He's really the one who's doing it. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Sandlot. It's one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies because it's about a kid who grew up in the 60s, and I grew up in the 60s. The 60s, for most of you don't know, that was about, I don't know, it was like 50 years ago or more, right? It was a long time ago. Um, I've already had somebody joke with me about how old I was this morning, and and I, I do have to confess those the dancing this morning, the worshiping thing, that kind of tired me out. So if I fall asleep here. But it's about a kid who grew up in the 60s, and it's about a bunch of kids who played baseball in this sandlot. And every so often they would hit the ball over the fence. And there was a huge dog they called the Beast over on the other side of the fence. And the way the movie has, it's very graphic. He's like, you know, five... 100 feet tall and very vicious and, and they're scared of this. And they, well, they knock the ball over the fence and they've got to figure out how are we going to get this ball. And, and half the movie is them devising ways. Let's hook a kid up to some ropes and tether him over the side of the fence. Let's get a vacuum cleaner and hook a bunch of pipes to it and we can move it over there. Let's get an erector set and make a, a bulldozer that will kind of push the ball over close. And nothing works. And somebody gets the idea, let's go knock on the owner's house and see if we can get the ball. And they work up enough courage and they go knock on the door. And this James Earl Jones character is there. And he's the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. And he knows the dog. And he talks to the dog. Hercules, oh, it's just Hercules. He's just, he's just having fun with you. Don't worry about that. There is something about going to the owner that worked. There was something about going to the person who controlled the whole scene, the whole yard, the whole, even the evil beast that scared them so much. This owner knew him by name and could just say, don't worry, here's your ball. Here you go. Here's what you need. This is what Jesus is saying. There's the Lord of the harvest. There's someone who's in control of this. 
If we could understand that, we'd be light years ahead. Well, what does a laborer look like who is sent out? God says, or Jesus is telling his disciples, ask the Lord of the harvest, pray earnestly that he might send out laborers into his harvest field. Well, what does a laborer who God the Father sends out look like? Well, I think we have an example right here in the text. Jesus himself, sent by God. He's a laborer. What, is, what, what does Jesus demonstrate a laborer is like? What is one sent by the Father going to look like? Well, there's a few things I think that we can look at here. The first thing is open. He's open. Not selective. He's not a respecter of persons. He's open. The word in the first part of this passage, the couple of words in verse 35, all, every, very significant. Jesus went through all the cities and villages. Why would the text say, why would Matthew go to the trouble of saying he went through all the cities and villages? Why didn't he just say, and Jesus walked through the place where people were? <laughs> why would he mention cities and villages? Again, I like, I like dictionaries. So villages, the way this word is used, it, it, the definition that I found was a relatively unimportant population center. It's where the servants of the field might go and congregate. But it was a relatively unimportant population center. Cities, on the other hand, the definition, a population center of gr- relatively greater importance. And it actually said in contrast with a village. Jesus went to every village. He went to all the unimportant people and he went to all the important people. He went everywhere. He went to everyone. He healed, it says, every disease and every affliction. Again, Matthew's trying to send us a signal here. He's trying to tell us, I'm going to use these words so you understand Jesus, it just didn't matter. Jesus went to everybody. He was open. He healed every disease and every affliction. It's sort of like in Mark 1 when the leper is, uh, you know, says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, the text says, Jesus reached out and touched him. You know, and in those days, you wouldn't have done that, right? Jesus even would go to a leper and minister to him. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that we're ambassadors for Christ, that you and I are ambassadors for Christ, that we are to share this message with the world that doesn't know Christ. A few verses before it calls us ambassadors, it says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Paul said, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how much money you made. It doesn't matter, we don't, Anything that we can tell from you on the outside, we're not going to play that. That's not going to be um, important to us. We're not going to evaluate you is what the text says in the New Living Translation. We're not going to evaluate you. It doesn't mean we're not going to recognize it. It doesn't mean we're not going to appreciate it. It doesn't going to mean we're going to be blind to it. But we're not going to evaluate you according to the flesh. All, every, every, everyone is created in God's image. Our culture today is moving in exactly the opposite direction. Our culture today says you need to identify. We need to know who you are. 
we are going to identify you exactly by your flesh. <laughs> and we're going, to, we're going to divide you up. And, and, and people are told, kids are growing up today going, I need to identify somewhere. I've got to be seen. It seemed that Jesus throughout the scriptures just was not a respecter of persons. It didn't matter what you looked like. It didn't matter what your lifestyle was. He was going to talk with you, and he was going to meet with you, and he was going to go with you. He was open. I don't know about you. I have a hard time. Just a confession point here. The people I have the hardest time talking to are those who would name the name of Christ, say, I'm a Christ follower, but they live completely differently than a Christ follower lives. As a pastor, especially, I think that sort of just gets my goat. I have a friend who is, is gay, and she has told me more than often than not, I'm, I follow Christ, and I follow him just like you do, and I love this person. She's wonderful. She's, she's really a great friend. But I'll just be honest with you. Um, it, it just rubs me the wrong way a little bit. I don't know why, because she's living in a, in a way different than the scriptures might say to live. And I see a mixed message there, and it's confusing. And then I read passages like the Good Samaritan, right, in Luke. And you just you think, wait a minute, Jesus is using this example of a Samaritan, that was the problem with the Samaritans, where they, they were sort of half, they were sort of naming the name of God and Yahweh, but they weren't living according to the way the rest of Israel was living. And in those days, that's what they, they called them the dogs, and it, it just bothered people. Why can you be a follower? Well, how can you say you're one of God's people, but be a Samaritan? Jesus comes along and tells the story, and the model and the star of the story is who? A Samaritan. Be like that. There was this openness about Christ that he just didn't, it didn't bother him. He just, he saw the person, not how they identified, not who they were. He saw the heart of the person and he cared about them. He was open. Well, he was complete too, as the word, next word you see there is he was complete. Verse 35, teaching and healing. He did both. It says in verse 35 that He came healing every disease and every affliction. He came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was out teaching in their synagogues and villages. He did both. He did both. He exercised the gifts the Spirit had given him. He healed people. He did something. He showed the gospel, not just shared it. He showed it. Those of you who may have the gift of healing, let me encourage you. Show it. Use it. If you have it, use it. If you have a gift of serving, serve. If you have the gift of leadership, lead. He used these gifts that he had, but he also shared the gospel in words. He taught them. He taught them. Sharing the good news. The gospel is the language of the Holy Spirit, right? It's the thing, there's something about this message that seems to have... uh, Power that is beyond this world, that you can sit and talk to somebody about God who loves you and died for you on the cross, sent his son to die for you on the cross, and if you put your life in his hands, he will renew your life. There are, it just seems like such a simple message. But it, act, it actuates something in the spirit of people 
that draws them into a relationship with God himself. I have a friend who, um, his name is Ed, and he would, he, he would always talk about his friend Mike. You've got to pray for my friend Mike. He needs to know Jesus. Please pray for Mike. Every time I saw Ed, he was talking to me about praying for Mike. Pray for Mike. Pray for Mike. Pray for Mike. So I would just pray for Mike occasionally, just when I thought about Ed, because that was always on his mind. And then Ed came to me one day and said, hey, Mike became a Christian. I was like, great, that's awesome. How did it happen? He goes, don't ask. Don't, I just don't, don't even ask. I was with Mike. We were out late. He came over to my house. It was midnight. I couldn't get rid of him. He said, the guy would not go home. You ever have somebody like that at your house? You know, you're trying to be nice. Wow, look at what time it is. You know, <laughs> my wife will be making breakfast soon. Those kind of things. This was Mike, right? And he was sitting there wondering, how can I say this? And I'm getting ruder by the minute. You know, it's time, Mike. Don't you need to get home? Don't you have, you know, something? You ever seen the sunrise, Mike? You're good. You're about to. And, and so finally, he, uh, Mike looks at him. And, and my friend Ed was just like laying in. He said, I'm laying on the couch. I'm trying to pretend I'm asleep. So he gets the idea. And Mike looks over at me and goes, you ever thought about Jesus? In, my, in, in Ed's words were, oh my goodness, he's, he's going to talk about this now? That's how tired he was. He was like, I can't believe he's going to bring this up now. And so Ed said, yeah, I've thought about Jesus. In fact, you know, I follow Jesus, and you can too, and you can. How do I follow Jesus? And Ed again is like, are you kidding me? You're going to bring this up at 2 in the morning? Don't you know what time it is? And so he, he said, I, I kind of came out with these words, Jesus, God loves you. Jesus died for you. There's a cross and you can follow him. <laughs> it was not textbook. And, and Mike said, I'd like to put my trust in him. Can I just pray that now? <laughs> There's something about the words, the gospel, that needs to be shared not just in your lifestyle. It needs to be shared you need to tell others about Jesus, and God's going to use it even like he used it in Mike's life. When's the last time you shared the gospel itself? The next thing you see in this text is that Jesus is unmirrored. I made that word up. I don't know if that's a real word or not. If you're spell-checking it, it's not, you're not going to find it. He was others-focused. I thought of the, the, the um, mythology figure Narcissus. It's where we get the... Um, the, the adverb or adjective now about narcissic, he's a narciss, narcissist. There was this guy in Greek mythology, if you look up pictures of him on Google Images, and there's just a guy looking in the river, staring at himself all day long. He's so self-absorbed, right? You know people like that in our culture today, who are just all about themselves. I won't share what just popped into my head. But there's... <laughs> There are just people around us in our culture who are so self-focused, they can't even see others. Jesus was exactly the opposite. I don't know, how about you? When you go on Facebook, do you go back when you post something to see how many likes you had? (laughs) Right? Oh, 42 likes. That was pretty good. Man, that's awesome. You know, or, what, only two likes? Didn't anybody read this today? What's the story, you know? We have this desire to be liked. We have this desire to see us. Jesus, this text says, doesn't seem to be caught up in the same thing the crowds are caught up in. The crowds are caught up in him. 
and he's caught up in them. Imagine trying to start a church. Imagine trying to start this movement called Christianity and not caring, not seemingly oblivious to the fact that everybody's looking at you and it's all about me. Can you imagine Hillary or Donald Trump today, right, you know, in this text? And all the crowds came around them and they said, here we are, everybody, thank you for coming. I'm wonderful, I've got a plan, it's going to be a huge wall, <laughs> right? I don't know, but in the political world we live in today, this, you wouldn't find this. Jesus was unmirrored. He doesn't see the numbers. What he sees are people who are harassed and helpless, What is what the text says. Harassed means to um, strip the skin off or, or to fleece a sheep, actually. Helpless means to throw down upon, to just, uh, just you know, beat down. Uh, I thought of the dog in our neighborhood who just recently had the haircut. Hudson is his name. He's a dog that's about this tall, and he's about this big until he gets a haircut. And then he's like, <laughs> you, do you know those kind of dogs? I saw him the other day in our neighborhood, and he was, I was like, did you guys get a new dog? That's awesome. No, that's Hudson. And I'm like, oh. And, I mean, he had no hair. And... and as he got closer, I could realize he had some cuts where the, the vet or the, the barber, whoever those people do that cut the hair, the groomers. Sorry, if there are groomers here, I apologize. They're, the groomers uh, got a little too close with the razor. That's a picture of what Jesus was talking about. He looks out at these people and he sees they're unprotected. He sees they're, they're not cared for. They're vulnerable. They have nothing else around them now like sheep without a shepherd. He sees them. He doesn't see what they're seeing. It's not all about, here I am, let's start the church. All he's seeing is these people are uncared for. These people are unprotected. The last thing I think the text shows is that he's authentic. He's actually uh, moved, it says. Authentic people are moved. They're not just doing. They're not just doing something. They're not just involved in evangelism because they want to. Um, well, I should I should rephrase that. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're moved for the wrong reason. Let's get out there and grow the church. Let's get out there and grow harvest. Let's get out there and grow hope. Wouldn't it be great if we could take on Willow Creek? Let's do it, right? I mean, that could be a motivation, right? Um. Maybe we would have the best church in Hoffman Estates. This would be awesome. This would be cool. Maybe I should prove something to Jesus. I love you, Jesus, so much. I'm going to get out there and share the gospel with everybody I know so that you'll like me. Well, he already loves you. He can't like you anymore. But authentic people... It says here that he's compassionate in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. I'm I'm sorry, Pastor Dave, I don't usually do this, but I love this word in the original language. And Pastor Dave will tell you, don't quote the Greek. It's just really, you don't need to go there. But I'm going to quote the Greek now. (laughs) So, uh, splachnos is the word here. Splachnos. If you don't remember anything else from today... 
go home and say, what the heck was he talking about, the splachnos? Splachnos is this word that means stomach and ch- kind of the, the inner section, your, kind of your bowels right here, you know, this part of your body. And it, I, the reason, the only reason I remember, remembered it from seminary in the 1800s was that it sounded like you had a stomach ache. Oh, he's got some splachnose, you know. You should see a doctor for that. Um, that's the word there. So when I read the word, I, it reminded me that Jesus was actually moved by seeing these people. It wasn't because he wanted to do something. It wasn't because he wanted to say, I know, I'll start a church and they'll all love me. He saw these people who were helpless, and something in his stomach just went, oh, man, they need help. They need help. How do you develop that kind of authenticity? How do you develop that when you see people around you who need Christ, and they're getting divorced, and their marriages are, you know, on the rocks, their kids are going all over the place, they're into whatever. How do you develop that authentic sort? How do you get it so that your guts actually turn? Well, I think there's only one, re- one in my life, there's only been one way, and that's God himself has to work in my life. The Lord of the harvest has to change my heart. He's in charge of this whole thing. If you want to be a laborer who's open, who sees people as God sees them, I don't care what lifestyle you have. I'm looking beyond that. I'm looking at you. Tell me your story. If you want to see a person, if you want to be a person who is, who is unmirrored, who's not all about himself and my, getting my, what I want, if you want to see a person who's, who's complete, who's going to share the gospel and show the gospel, if you want to see a person, a laborer who's authentic and really hurts for the lost, the Lord of the harvest is, is the only place you can turn. God, make me like that. Make me like that laborer. Make me like Christ. It all starts and it all really ends with him. He is the Lord. And it talks about his harvest. Ask that God would send out laborers into his harvest field. And he's given you and I the privilege of knowing him and being able to go to him at any time, in any place, because of his son, Jesus Christ, and just ask him, would you involve me in this process? It's all about you. As we close here, I asked Pastor Dave if if I could do something I might do in our church. Our church is a lot smaller, so it works sometimes in our church, (laughs) sometimes. Um, And that's just to ask maybe one or two people to volunteer, to stand where you are, and just to pray a one-sentence prayer. Lord, would you help us become laborers in your harvest field? And and maybe you've been moved in a certain way, and you want to ask God for something else. I'm just looking for a short prayer. God, would you, we've been, we're all involved in this labor field called Northwest Communities, Northwest Suburbs of Chicago, Hoffman Estates, Schaumburg. God, would you help us here? Would you help us? Maybe you live in Naperville. Maybe you live in Evanston. I'm not sure where you live. Would you help me wherever I live to become a laborer like you that would see people the way you see them, that would actually be authentic and not just do this because it's some church program or some guy came, got up and motivated me at a conference. Would you actually change my heart 
so that I can see people and talk to them and love them the way you do. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.